so welcome to the Rise of the Super Bean podcast. This time I'm going to say podcast because our guest it's American. Normally I say podcast, okay? Podcast. <laughs> podcast. I'm Vanderson Pires and today my guest is Dave Preciado. Lots of things to talk about it. So our producer is Callan Walker. And this episode is brought to you by Combat Room Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If you want to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in a safe environment, meet cool people and learn a very powerful skill, come to see me and my team in www.combatroom.co.nz. Dave? Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you for, for, for coming to the podcast, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, the, the group of people you've had on, I'm just, I'm just Dave. That's it. <laughs> you have all these amazing people on the show. It's been nah, fantastic. My friend. Yeah, but you have an interesting story as well, and, and we're going to dig uh, deep on that. Yeah. So first, let's, you know, you've been training. I'm going to tell you the, the guys the first time I met you, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we used to be, the combat room used to be at the Guzny, Guzny Street. And, you know, I received an email, email from you, mm -hmm. right? You know, asking about, uh, um, you know, maybe start training. So you came from America and used to train uh, with uh, uh, Hay. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting now, I know it's Hay. <laughs> Yeah, so you came and so you came. And we had you know we had a chat. I think you did one session, and after I you disappeared. Yeah, and you came. I don't know for after a few months, right? Yeah, I mean I I have a really good memory. So you came to the class, and ah, you moved to we moved to a next mm -hmm. the next school mm -hmm. to um, I think already was so Guzni. Yeah, it was Guzni Street, right? You Gusney came. Guzni Street was the first time I went to the gym, uh, and I trained. And all, like all your black belts happened to be there that night. Yeah, it yeah. Was like a one-off <laughs> night. So it was my first time training. Yeah, on Guzni. Uh -huh. And then when I came back, you're at where you are now. Ah, uh, okay. And I couldn't recognize you. No, I remember I, seeing the look on your face, and you were. The, I could see the wheels slowly turning, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it was so interesting. Man, you just seemed. I, I, I do you know when the voice is familiar, but I could not uh, associate the voice with the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you tell what, what's, how, how does transformation happen and why this happened? Yeah, so when I came to New Zealand in 2013, I was Fat Dave, basically. That's, <laughs> what, that's what the guys, yeah. I had, I had weighed over, well, I mean, I don't know what it is in KG because I'm American. It's part of my culture. <laughs> don't, don't judge me, guys out there. It's part of my culture. Um, so I was probably about 205 pounds and whatever that is in KG. KG it was a mind. lot. Mm. And um, yeah, and you know, when I first arrived at Weta, obviously you're I'm the new guy and I gotta prove myself and we're working hard hours on um I think the film was Hobbit, Desolation mm. of Smog at the time. And so yeah, of course. Well, let me back up a little bit. When when I first arrived, my very first night in Wellington, um, I lived on uh Victoria and Guzney, right in the middle of town, right near Cuba Street. Mm. And I got in, I had my look around Weta, and I came home. And I went downstairs to just go walk around and see this new place. And I'm walking outside and I walk down the left bank and I turn left and outside 
is this guy with gray silvery hair just standing there and I start chatting with him and uh you know he hears I'm American and he kind of puts two and two together oh do you work for Weta yeah and then we immediately start talking about movies talking about movies probably for about an hour maybe two hours just movies and then and then something came up where I asked him you know if he knew some type of martial art like what he was doing standing outside of this door and it was to the Matterhorn uh-huh and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I train, you know, I do all these different martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I said, oh, me too. And uh, turns out we had a mutual friend who lived here, who I knew in America. Mm-hmm. And, and then he's like, yeah, I train at Combat Room. Turns out it was Brian. Brian was yeah. the very first guy <laughs> I had met when I arrived in New Zealand. Uh-huh. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I think the maybe the following week. I, yeah, I, I popped over to the Guzney Street because mm-hmm. I wanted to train and, and meet you after yeah. we had chatted. And, um, but yeah, so then now I'm at work and I'm in the trenches, deep in the trenches on Desolation of Smog. And, and that was a hard show and working 80, 90 hour weeks. Mm. You don't really get to see daylight much, let alone a jiu-jitsu class. Mm. Um, so during that time, there's two of my uh, workmates who ended up becoming my really good friends, uh, Dennis and Craig. Well, people heard that I had trained jujitsu and said, Oh, you should talk to Craig or you should talk to Dennis. And then chatted with them and said, Oh yeah, we, there's a gym right down the street. We go out lunchtime and we have a role on the mats. And so I started just training with those guys. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing during that time. I was still fat Dave though. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so I arrived in June and that had been going on until June from June and then around November that year, I got a divorce, mm-hmm. and that really is when I like kicked into gear and had to do something to kind of change, change a little bit. You know, you go into this dark place, and yeah. you know, um, and two, along with the whole new arriving group of people, you know, nobody who who came over for Desolation of Smog, you know, no one knew anybody else, so we were all we knew together so Mm -hmm. we'd go out and drink every weekend and doing that and going through the divorce was like okay i'm missing first of all i'm i'm done being hung over all weekend and missing new zealand i want to see new zealand and i need to make a change and so i continued training with those guys at lunchtime like i I mean i still have a drink but i wasn't drinking and going out like that anymore Mm -hmm. and um started hitting the weights changed my diet and i dropped probably yeah maybe Gosh, well, I well, I dropped a lot. I dropped maybe forty five pounds, mm. which is probably twenty kg, and then I put maybe ten pounds back on, maybe fifteen, um, and I've kind of been maintaining that since then. Mm. But yeah, I, I've look, I look really different. Yeah, from that first time <laughs> I met you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could see how perplexed your face was when I walked <laughs> back in. You, you're like, I don't, I, I know you. And I was like, yeah, we've met before. Yeah. And then I had to explain, like, oh, my God, what happened? Yeah, yeah. 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 Since then, you know, we've been trained together. And, yeah. and, you know, I had the, you know, the pleasure to to help you with the journey. So, you know, you came blue belt. Um, I gave you the purple, the brown, and... Now the black belt. The black belt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how how was that, Dave? How was receiving your your black belt after how long? Over twelve and a half 12? years of training. Mm, yeah, it's a long time. I mean, you know, it. First of all, I I don't think a lot of people 
who haven't trained at many places and trained outside of New Zealand or trained around like understand or maybe they do but I have a really deep appreciation for you as a friend and as a jiu-jitsu instructor I I, I mean it's just I kind of hit the jackpot here having you in Wellington and your knowledge is so deep you know so to find you and 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 just kind of everything kind of aligned and I immediately felt at home you know when I walked in into your your academy and yeah getting the black belt I mean it's I'm still yeah buzzing from it it's 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 (laughs) been just you know what almost two weeks now and I think and um has it been two weeks yeah true yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah I, I just I think back to that moment when you know when I was training at the very beginning as a white belt and that that switch of uh, or something crystallized that oh yeah no this is jujitsu is part of my life now like mm-hmm. this is i'm doing that i'm all in i'm all in no matter what you know i i'll get hurt but i'll still climb up to class i've i've climbed up those stairs on crutches before yes. you know like yeah, yeah, yeah i just it's just something that i have a lot of respect for i think um yeah, it just made me reflect on on all of those years and and what that meant and what a black belt means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like, well, I guess I'm invincible now. No one's ever sweeping me or tapping <laughs> me out ever again. It's not that even in in the slightest. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's it was a time of of I'm still in a kind of a deep reflection part of part of the of receiving this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And David, what was your motivation to keep, uh, you know, being a white belt who never quit? <laughs> Man, I mean, that's a, that's a complex question. Uh, I mean, it, there, well, there's, a, a, I guess, a complex answer to that simple question. Uh, um, if I were to really dig in deep, I would say, you know, the uh, um, being bullied, you know, uh, as a kid or experiencing a lot of fear, mm. you know, I mean... I, I didn't grow up in like a horrible neighborhood in, in LA, but there was still shootings all around. There's, I, I mean, it was routine to hear police helicopters flying around and seeing bodies covered with white sheets. And I mean, I've seen this with my own eyes, you know, and kind of always, if I go walk down the street, kind of always keeping your eyes open. And, um, so there's that element of mm-hmm. building the confidence, um, that, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gives you to kind of hold your head up high and, and not be afraid um, in if something were to happen. But but what what it, this has done now is, I mean, it's that type of altercation isn't even remotely on my radar. Not even it's like the last thing I could ever see happening now. You know? Yeah, so interesting. And it's mm-hmm. and it means something else now. You know? But that as a white belt, that's kind of where my mind was. Is like, oh, this is okay. I can kind of take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also, I was going to the gym a lot, which is where I met my first jujitsu coach. We met at the gym, and I had been going to the gym in L.A. You know, for a, a year or two or something. And uh, when I met him there. You know, there's this little story there. Uh, So I used to go at lunchtime and I was working on the first avatar at the time. And me and the guys were all getting fat because there's just 
free food everywhere on on the film production there mm. piles of bacon and eggs and i mean those are the glory days <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh we were all putting on weight so as a group we kind of said hey guys you know we need to go to the gym so we started going to the gym and um and i remember seeing this big guy covered in tattoos big head and mangled ears and you know he just he would have his headphones in but he'd work out like a maniac and he was always at the gym this guy and i'd always made a point never to use a machine that i felt like he was going towards <laughs> i'm just gonna avoid this guy he's a man uh, and uh one day in the locker room i heard him talking to another guy about <clears throat> um, fighting like mma stuff and how he used to do it or something like that and at the gym there was also a cafe that had you know, smoothies and juices and really nice things to eat. Mm -hmm. So I used to get a bite there before heading back to the office. So I got a, a juice and a bite to eat and I sit down. There's nobody else in the cafe. And here comes this monster walking by. He orders a bunch of food and then he sits at the table across from me looking right at me. And so I'm not going to like mm -hmm, <laughs> not say anything. So I look and I smile and I wave and he gives me this big smile and he waves. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, oh, great. And I took that opportunity to ask him about what I heard in the locker room. Like, oh, I heard you back there, you're a fighter. Are you a fighter? No, I used to. You know, I do jujitsu. And then he comes over and introduces himself. And he's so nice, you know, mm -hmm. totally not this image that I was thinking, this, you know, uh -huh. scary human being. And um, he gave me his card and he invited me. He said, I have my own gym. He said, come by anytime you want. I'll give you a good workout. I'm like, okay, cool. This sounds cool. You know, I knew what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was because mm -hmm. um, I remember from the first UFC when I was, I think, 14 or 15. I mean, everybody, that's when you knew what it was. And then I had a friend who trained, who used to train with Hay when we were, when I was a teenager, but I wasn't like in the state of mind to do it back then. But I didn't know it was him until later. I put two and two together like, oh, this is the guy my friend was training with in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so like everyone, you know, he gives me the card and I'm thinking, okay, well, I got to get in shape. I got to hit the gym hard before I go, go to this, <laughs> you know, what am I getting myself into? And, uh, I go to the class after like three months of building up the mental fortitude to walk through that door. Mm. I walk in and again, big wave, you know, jump in, man, let's go. So I take the class and start doing technique with one of the guys and, um, and then, uh, yeah, it was super nice. And then it was time to roll, which I didn't know what the hell that was. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, everybody, like, it was a small space, so it was like, you know, two, two, and two could roll, and then everybody else on the edge of the class. And so I was kind of sitting on the edge of the mats. And I'm standing in front of these two guys who were like Eldon and Paul size, mm. Steve-O and, and Nate. And these guys are huge guys. And I, they were blue belts at the time, and they were like two bulls locking. They were going at it. And I'm sitting there. My, I mean, the look on my face. <laughs> I was like, holy hell, what did I get myself into? And Hayes, Hayes looking at me, and he goes, hey, Dave, do you want to do, do this? Do you want to try this? And I was like, nah, man, no <laughs> way. And so he laughed and then called one of his buddies over, who I actually ended up becoming one of my best friends now, Marshall. Mm. was now black belt mm -hmm. and uh he's like man we're not gonna you know do that well let me just roll with me and we'll sh i'll show you the way and he was very nice and, uh, and so marshall uh, was white belt marshall was a white belt marshall oh, yeah. marshall 
Yeah, he's another interesting story. He knew he had been studying jujitsu for like years. He went to high school with Chrome Gracie, so he knew what you know jujitsu was. Mm. And I think he had only like started taking classes a couple months before me, but he already had a lot of grappling knowledge. I had zero grappling knowledge, Mm. and yeah, he he was so far far ahead far ahead of me. Mm. Um, But yeah, he showed me kind of what was the deal was. I was like, okay, this is this is really cool. And so I went that first week and after that first week, I that was it. I quit the gym. I was like, guys, sorry, I'm not coming back here. I found something else. And <laughs> and it was, you know, getting boring, just kind of like and mundane, just like lifting. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. You know, and and this was something new. It was a different group of guys. And I think it all had always kind of been searching for that group of guys um, mm. to just kind of align myself with. And um, that was it. The rest is history, mm. you know. I mean, you was really lucky as well to start your journey with someone like a yeah, a Hey Diogo. You know what's one legend? Yeah, from Carson Grace. I know. You know? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea at the time. I knew nothing. You uh, know, I mean, I knew the Gracies, and I knew nothing about him. Uh, and I don't think I had heard of Carlson at the time. I only knew Hoist, mm-hmm. right? You only yeah, know yeah. Hoist from UFC, mm. and. Um, you know, the longer I stayed, and then you get these guys, Andre Galvao coming through, Little Mashida, Walid Ishmael, Marilla Busamana, you hear, and then you hear all the other guys talking about the history of Hay, and mm-hmm. then spending time with Hay. He, he actually lived in the same apartment complex as me, and so I got to spend a lot of time with him, and he became one of my good friends. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I went to Brazil with him, and yeah, that was. Yeah, can you tell this story about you going to Brazil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, two. It was two thousand nine, uh, and I th- we went when it w- when it was winter in Brazil. So mm. what, like this? Uh, kind of a June, 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 July. July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was uh, my best buddy came with me, Jay, who, who just he didn't train jujitsu. He just wanted to come to Brazil. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, it was a 13-hour flight from LA. We flew to Miami, then Miami to Rio, and it was horrible flights. Didn't get any sleep, um, but we get to we get our to Rio. We arrive, and um, you know, <laughs> that was the first time, first time other than going to Mexico that I had been out of America, uh-huh. like really far away from America. Yeah, yeah. And so um, so we get our bags and we're leaving the airport there and there's like this corridor going up and it's all blocked. So it's like this hallway and you go through the corridor and then it opens up and there was probably about 200 people there screaming at you to take them, to change money and to take their cab and all this. Stuff. I had no idea what all these people were screaming at, but it, they were just... <laughs> <laughs> screaming a lot and then there was these four stalls where you could exchange money and there's there's all these brazilian girls in there trying to wave you down and these two literally like clamored and fell out of the thing and came running towards us and i was like okay well you guys put in the most effort so you win the prize so i'll come change my money with you guys so i changed my money we got in a cab you know when you get in the cab and and as soon as you pull out of the airport and you look to the right there's the favela you know you could see the like it's real and it's right there and uh, yeah, so I remember taking the highway. We drove through into into town. Um, we get to the hotel, and they you know spoke English there. Hey, had set it up because he was like they they speak English here, and all. he was gonna stay there. Mm-hmm. So checked in, get to the room, exhausted from traveling. Put my bags down, sit on the bed. 
oh, okay, now I'm going to, and the phone rings. I pick up the phone. Hello? Boy, why you don't call me? When did you get in? Or then it's, hey, screaming at me, you know, classic, classic, hey. Uh. Um, <laughs> like, hey, I just, I literally just got to Paul, be downstairs in 20 minutes. I'll come pick you up. Okay. And then you just say he's, he's a really good uh, um, Portuguese teacher as well, because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you swear better than I could ever dream. Well, I learned, I learned from the master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, he, so we met, we go downstairs and he picked us up, I think with um, Pedro Gracie, mm. I think he came with, Pe I think it was Kira Gracie's father, I think, mm. um, I'm a little fuzzy, but I think it was him. Mm. So we get in the car and I'm going to leave out some details here, but we get in the car and, um, <laughs> uh, and he's like, let's go eat. So. Cool. So we go to Copa, this place in Copacabana, or I was staying in Copacabana Beach, but he drives over to this restaurant uh, on the beach, and um, you walk in, and it felt like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin were just here. It was just right out of the 50s. This is a beautiful restaurant, and all these autographs of famous people are on the walls. who have been there over the years, and uh, nobody was there. There's maybe one other person, two other people there. It was the middle of the, well, it was late after. It was probably about four and um raining pouring down rain and we all sit down and i garlic mashed potatoes and chicken parmesan is so so good the food is amazing <laughs> we're drinking beers you know it was great and uh and so then it was like okay no well now it's time to rest i've got a full belly time to chill from the plane It's like, okay, we're going to go back. We'll change. We'll get our stuff. We're going to go train. I'm like, wait, but, <laughs> wait a minute. And he's like, no, we'll go. Okay. All right, we'll go. So um, so now it's dark. It was dark at like 5.30. And uh, he, he picks us up. Well, we meet him again downstairs. He picks me and my friend Jay up. And Jay's just going to come and take pictures and video and watch. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. And... Um, So we go driving through the streets, you know, and uh, he pulls up at this really dark, unlit street and parks the car. And uh, we all get out and he goes, oh, I got to get some stuff in the car. He's like, go on upstairs, go inside and I'll meet you there. And I'm looking around. And I'm like up there. And he's like, yeah, and it's this dark doorway. Remember, it's pouring down rain. And uh, I'm like, nah. <laughs> he's like, boy, just go. Okay. So, so I go walking in the doorway. And I walk up one flight of stairs and I hear this singing and I walk up another flight of stairs and this like whole like choir erupts in song. And it's like this surreal experience. I'm walking up to this legendary Carlson Gracie Academy with this choir of, I don't know, a couple dozen people singing. And there was like a church that they were practicing. <laughs> They're singing. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> so I walk up again to the third floor And uh, there's the, the, this big metal door with all these stickers. I mean, the history there. I mean, there's just like thousands of stickers on there piled on each other. Mm -hmm. And I just froze in front of the door like I can't. I don't feel like I didn't even want to touch it. The energy was like, <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, I wait for Hay to come up. And, of course, he yells at me while I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you go in? Well, I'm scared. So, <laughs> so he opens the door and, you know, as soon as he steps foot inside, the whole place erupts. Hey, 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 hey. And then I come in and the whole place gets quiet and everybody's looking at me. And then he introduces me to um, 
Marley, Marley Gracie Carlson's wife was sitting at this little desk and he's like, you know, come meet Carlson's wife, mm. you know, and oh, nice to meet you. And he's like, buy a t-shirt from her. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, okay, <laughs> buy t-shirts. And, um, and then he said, you know, go change. And then we're going to train. And so he pointed me to where the tra- changing area was. And I, it was like a curtain, you know, I opened this curtain and there's this like, there's like a roof a hole in the ceiling exposing the roof and you know holes on the walls where pipes are and like you know you i mean you could feel this place has seen some stuff mm-hmm. and uh so i get changed and i come out and uh i was still a white belt then i was a four-stripe white belt and one of the coaches starts yelling at hey in portuguese you know why'd you bring this white belt here you know and and uh and hey just kind of put up his hand and said you know he'll be fine don't worry about him and uh so we do the training and, and i trained with hay for the first time that like mm. to do technique and stuff and and then it was time to roll and i rolled with hay for the very first time i'd been training with him for about a year and a half mm. so the first time he and i rolled was in brazil in brazil oh man that's yeah really special mm. the carson grace super the special yeah, yeah yeah um i mean of course he just destroyed me but like mm. it was still whoa this is the first time i'm rolling with my coach and mm-hmm. here and so then um so then uh, I think it was uh, Saparito came and said, okay, he spoke a little bit of English. He said, here, you roll with this guy. He's another American guy. And uh, he was a blue belt, four stripes, big black guy. And I was like, okay, here we go, you know. Mm. And, man, I was fighting for my life. You know, this poor guy had no idea what was coming. And I just poured it on him. And I knew they were all watching. And so... Um, so then after that roll, they said, okay, um, roll with this guy. And he was a purple belt. He was, he was more my size. And again, fighting for my life, you know, here I'm thinking, okay, the Brazilians are going to kill the American, you know, <laughs> and uh, had a good roll. Um, I don't think, no, neither of us tapped each other out, um, but it was a fight. And then the last one, they bring this massive guy. Brazilian guy, purple belt, and and I tried and get good. It was a good fight, but yeah, he ended. I think he tapped me twice, um, and then after he was trying to tell me, he's like, "Oh, you're really strong, and you know it's good. Thank you, you know." And what little um, English he had, and what little Portuguese I knew. Mm. Um, but it turns out that almost everybody there understands or speaks Spanish, so I had I could speak a little bit of Spanish, so I was able to communicate, say certain words in Spanish, and then they would know what it meant in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to communicate with these guys. And so at the end of the night, um, you know, I'm thankful I didn't die. <laughs> and uh, uh, Saparito comes, and he, and he makes everybody sit down on the, on the edge of the mats, and uh, he grabs me. Come here. He grabs my sleeve, on, stands me up, and Rayo, no, Saparito, the, uh, he was there. Yeah, he uh, was sitting there. And uh, and he starts screaming at his guys. He's like, and pointing at me. And he was telling them, like, this is how we used to train. This guy's how we used to train for Carlson. You guys need to train like this guy. And I'm looking at him like, no, bro. No, 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 don't do this. <laughs> You're <laughs> stop, not going to survive stop this. one more. I'm never going to come back here. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was my first, well, that was my first training in Brazil. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, cool. I'm ready to go back to the hotel and um, chill out and sleep. You know, I'm tired. And so we get back in the car and he's like, boha, 
meet me on the sauna at the roof. We'll go to the sauna for a little while, and then we're going to go out and drink. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So we went to the sauna, and then we went out for drinks. And, um, yeah, we went by and picked up a friend of his. God, I can't remember her name. She was this older woman. She was in her 70s. She was so cool. Mm. Um, And she spoke a little bit of English from what I remember. No, maybe maybe not. But we went out, and we went went to... um, back to the that restaurant and we sat at the restaurant and smoked cigars and drank caipirinhas till like six or seven in the morning like till i mean they would just they would the servers wouldn't leave until we left so we were there until yeah like six in the morning just talking Uh, smoking cigars and drinking caipirinha it was like the the most amazing day of my life um, and so yeah then we went back to the hotel and i was like, okay, well, we'll train again in the evening, right? And he goes, no, we're going to go to the afternoon class. I'm like, but that's just in a couple of hours, hey? He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> God, so I went back to the hotel, took a shower, slept for maybe four and a half hours, and then went back and trained again. Mm. Yeah. For how long was the trip? About two weeks. Ah, yeah. That's awesome. Intense, right? Super intense, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. The food was amazing. Everyone, I, it was really cool when everyone found out I was American. Everyone wanted to practice their English with me, so I had a, you know, everybody who I met wanted to try and speak English with me, and yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh, yeah. And how how was the experience of meeting Kira Grace? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the last day, I forgot about it. So the last day of Brazil. So I had gotten pretty sick. Like I had a horrible fever. Um, we, Hay and I were training on the beach and uh, we had gone for a swim, not realizing it had just rained the night before. So we got real, both he and I got real sick. And um, uh, his wife, his ex-wife was a nurse at the time and she phoned in. She was staying elsewhere in Brazil. And she's like, are you, Dave, are you sick too? I said, yeah. She goes, look, I'm going to call the bellhop. I had a fever for like three days. I was miserable in mm-hmm. bed. My best friend was had to sit there and watch me, you know. And I was like, "Dude, don't leave, don't, don't let me die in a Brazilian hospital, bro. Please, <laughs> <laughs> please don't leave me. <laughs> if I die, just leave me here." Um, but uh, so he actually had to go back home. His sister was in a car accident, and he had to. He's like, "Dude, my sister's in a car accident. I got to go back home." So he had to leave, mm. and I have this horrible fever. So the ex-wife called. Said, you have the fever? I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, look, I'm going to call the bellhop downstairs, give him 20 bucks. He's going to go to the pharmacy and get you one pill. And she's like, just take the pill and that should sort you out. Mm. So he did just that. He brought up this antibiotic. I popped it literally within an hour. Fever gone. I felt great. Mm. Um, so, I to, so at that point, I still had a few days left in Brazil. So we were training again. And then the last day, um, I said, well, I'm going to take you to Baja de Tijuca. And we're going to go to the beach because it had been kind of not beach weather at all in, in Copacabana, mm-hmm. but over there, because it's probably about, I think, an hour, maybe 45 minutes out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was beach weather. So he parks the car and there's it's kind of like set up like Miami, where all these tall buildings are kind of built on the coast and really beautiful. And we're walking up to this bluff and there's a little um, like a I don't know what it was, like some type of shack place where you get like food and drinks and stuff. There's a bunch of people out there and they, hey, 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 everyone's screaming at hey, like it was like being with a rock star and yeah, yeah. there, everybody knew this guy. I'm like, jeez. Uh-huh. So, you know, he introduced me to everybody. He's like, okay, let's go down to the beach. And so at this point I hadn't seen the beach. And so we go around the building and we come down and there's just 
your iconic Brazilian beach of just like an ocean of people crammed in together. There's plenty of beach, but everybody's crammed in. (laughs) (laughs) All naked and brown, basically. (laughs) And uh, it was just a party on the beach. And people were playing games, playing sports. You know, it it was a music playing. It was awesome. Mm. I'm like, man, hey, why don't we just... Why couldn't we just come here? (laughs) We're working too hard, bro. Um, And so, yeah, we're hanging out, and he's introducing me to tons of people. And uh, um, then, you know, he goes off and starts chatting with other other people. I think he saw Pedro again. And and then as he gets up to leave, he goes, oh, hey, this is um, his daughter, Kira, Kira Gracie, you know, talk talk to her and I didn't know she spoke English Uh, so I'm like oh hey how are you and she just kind of smiles and waves and then I'm sitting there like an idiot like (laughs) what do I say to this person you know this is beautiful Brazilian Kira Gracie um the king, a, queen of jiu-jitsu yeah yeah unbelievable um if i would have known she spoke perfect english i didn't find out until kind of towards the end when we were leaving and she uh, goes oh it was nice meeting you. i'm like oh you speak perfect english she goes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah she was she was really nice too and uh, uh-huh. everybody everybody is just so warm you know mm. the people are really you know it has it's weird the the dichotomy in brazil where you you see like there's you could sense that there's danger around, you know, like mm. the group of 30 guys hanging out on the street corner in the middle of Rio. It's like, okay, that's that's a little suspect. I'm not going to go near that. But then when you meet people one-on-one, it's like you're part of the family instantly. And it's, yeah, especially yeah. if you know two words in Portuguese, you know, you're mm. like, oh, now you're really in, you know, and it was... uh yeah, it was such a unique experience. What an amazing sure. experience. That's super cool. Yeah, and <laughs> hilarious. It was so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, David, let's let's go back a little bit and talk uh, about your... So, what what do you do in, at Weta? So, you're a senior uh, animator? Kind of, yeah. Uh, so, I'm in the motion world, and um, I do have to know animation. I have a degree in animation, but mm-hmm. I'm a senior motion editor at Weta Digital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I deal with, um, the motion capture data and getting that onto a computer generated character like Gollum or like Caesar from Planet of the Apes or like Jake and Nitiri from Avatar mm. or any other character who uses motion capture, which is now everywhere. Mm. Um, and so my job is to make sure that tran- that human performance gets transferred onto, um, the computer-generated character, and that performance is true. And, you know, it gets quite complicated when you have different joint lengths. So if my arm's this long, but a a chimpanzee's arm might be this long, when I touch something here, the chimp's going to touch it out here, right? Mm -hmm. So I need to make sure those contacts work and this exchange works and the tiny little subtleties in the human performance when they're emoting and stuff because there's things at the micro level um, that we see, that we experience, but we don't really recognize. Mm. Only when it's not there. Mm-hmm. When it's not there, we know something's wrong. So it's my job to make sure all of those little tiny things get put in there as well. And augmenting performances like, um, you know, a stunt performance in a fight, they can't really hit each other. Mm-hmm. So they'll throw a punch. So then on our side, we need to make that that contact work or wherever that contact is. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of it's it's a good balance of technical and artistry, um, and and quite specialized, which is kind of what brought me here to mm-hmm. New Zealand. 
And you have a, a interesting story about movies because of your father. No, your father is still working in movies, right? Not anymore. No, uh -huh. no, he hasn't been in the film industry in a long time. Um, but yeah, he he's kind of yeah he um, so growing up um, a few doors down uh, as a kid, my best friend's father was uh, like a maybe a gaffer or something or a camera assistant mm -hmm. and um, he worked on a bunch of old like poltergeist and starman and all the fast times at ridgemont high like all these old films in the 80s mm. and um yeah at the time my dad worked at a factory but also he was a builder and he's he had a construction company with my uncle for a little while mm -hmm. and then um somehow he got my dad a job as an electrician working in, on in film and uh and so then you know, I would go on set and visit him. So I've been on sets as a kid, like Adam's Family and mm. uh, American Me. He was actually in this uh, film called American Me, which is about the Mexican mafia that he was actually in. The director put him in. But yeah. I think that was the first set I had ever been on um, and when they were filming was that one. Um, but then he was on like Baywatch for like five seasons. So I got to meet like Pamela Anderson and Nicole Eggert and Pamela Anderson and Pamela Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> and so as a kid, you know, uh, this is like you see all these big machines and you see these big cameras and there's food everywhere. I think I remember on um, Adam's Family, I was, I was pretty, maybe 11, no, maybe younger, nine or 10. Can't remember the timeline. It's a little bit fuzzy, but I remember going there and Hugo, so the, my friend's dad's name's Hugo, and he's a cameraman now. And I remember him introducing me to angelica houston and i didn't know who the hell angelica houston was you know but i could see my mom my mom was there and she like froze and angelica you know is super sweet and she's like oh what's your name you know she's like come here and she grabs my hand and off we go she like takes me to this table with like this massive spread of food and she's like open your pockets and she's dumping candy in my pockets she goes don't tell your parents you know and she's just pouring candy into my pockets you know I'm like wow making movies is great i want to do this <laughs> you know it just seemed like real buzzy and and just like big machines to play with and you know i'd always loved making little worlds you know as a kid building little worlds and building little fortresses and stuff to play in and you know it just kind of seemed like well this is like i really like this i'm really gravitating towards this this mm -hmm. area yeah. That's awesome. Which which was your first movie? Did you have the opportunity to work on? Well, wait. I'll tell you. My dad's last movie that he uh -huh. ever worked on yeah, was yeah. Heat. If wow. you've ever seen Heat, that's uh, one of my favorite movies. That was the last film he worked on. Um, my first film that I worked on, I actually, it wasn't doing animation; it was doing storyboards. Was mm. uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was my first uh, film that I was a part of mm -hmm. professionally. And then some years went by. I had a baby. So, well, I didn't have a baby, but I had a daughter born. Uh -huh. And um, so, you know, then I was working at an animal hospital at the time. So I did that. I worked at with as a vet tech for about 10 years while I was studying and trying to, like, break into the mm. industry. Um, and then back in, two, I want to say, 2005. Yeah, the end of 2005 is when I got hired um, at Giant Studios in L.A. And that was, like, the first... Yeah, actually, no. I well, I had interned at a motion capture studio after I graduated college back in 2000, mm -hmm. and um, that's kind of what started me in motion capture. This guy I had worked with said, "Hey, I got a friend who has the studio. I'll set you up." So he hooked me up with him, and I interned there for like nine months. So I that's my, that was my introduction to motion capture, and uh, several years later, 
a friend of mine who knew that I was doing that said, hey, I have some friends, former students of mine who work at this mocap company and they're looking for people and you're the only guy I know who's ever worked with mocap. And so he hooked us up and uh, yeah, I, they hired me and that was my first gig. So my first job there was a little bit, was a film. I just did a little bit. I was learning, um, was uh, I Am Legend, the Will Smith um, mm -hmm. with the zombie thing. Uh, that was the that one, and then I think it was Mummy, Mummy Two or Mummy Three. After that, I did a little tiny bit on, and then it was Avatar, mm -hmm. the big one. That's kind of what really I spent a lot of time on, like maybe three years, four years on something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned about the Planet of Apes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Has been a very important work for you, right? Yeah. Well, this specifically, yeah, this last one. Yeah, I had a lot to do, a lot of. Um, designing shots and things that the director didn't have any ideas for planning for and basically was like show me something um and also there's some fight sequences in there that i got to kind of own and i got to own a couple well I, I, like on avatar you know i kind of pitched some ideas um that i got to kind of sprinkle in some jujitsu mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of people don't know but james cameron used to train jujitsu with hickson oh really yeah oh yeah. that's interesting i don't know just for maybe a year or two but uh -huh. yeah so he knew when we were pitching these ideas um there's a part where jake has to catch a banshee and they hadn't you know what they had done wasn't really working and so i had this idea because i'm like well a marine wouldn't hold this dragon like this he'd He'd hold him like this because I started jujitsu, so I knew everything yeah. as a white belt, right? Yeah, I knew it all. It's all wrong. Let me tell you guys. Everyone, sit down. Um, and so I showed my boss, and uh, and I said, "Well, this is what I would do." And he's like, "Well, let's show it to Jim." So he showed it to Jim. Jim's like, "Let's do that." And so then they had the stunt performers do that, and and so that was kind of my like my little input, injecting jujitsu into Avatar, and then um, and then on. Planet of the Apes, yeah, we had, um, you know, I had to make the a wrestling scene a little bit better than what the stunt performers had done and add some punches and stuff. So I got to do that. I kind of poached that one that weren't, they weren't going to give me that shot. But I was like, look, who's more qualified at this company to do this? Um. <laughs> <laughs> and if they want to yes. take it from me, then we have to go to the Mets and they have to prove to me that yeah. they deserve. <laughs> so, um, so I did, so they did some fighting in there and then, yeah, so I had to design a lot of the big crowd stuff in the prison scene in battle of the planet of the apes and kind of like, figure out what's going on and shoot stuff. And that was the first time that I got an opportunity to do that mm. at that scale, like, you know, kind of owning whole sequences. And, and it was really fun and really cool. And I got to work with my friend, all the supervisors were like my friend, like Dennis, you know, mm -hmm. and um, he was soup on that and, and Aiden and Sydney, these amazing, amazing animators, you know? So it was a really real, the most that I had put into a film. Yeah. And then recently battle angel Alita, I put a little, a little Gramby role in there yeah. as a reference. Yeah. They didn't know how to get her out of this position. And I'm like, Oh, this is a really funny position, but let me try something. So I did a Gramby role and then I was thinking, well, maybe she could flip out of the Gramby role. I can't flip out of a Gramby role, but I'll show you what it looks like. Uh -huh. And so then they put that in. Oh, and I think, cool. I, don't, I don't, I think it maybe the animator, it was keyframe animation. And I think it, it may have, made it to the film I mm. think. i'm pretty sure it did yeah that's awesome yeah so david what um if someone that's listening or watching now this podcast and want to you know do the same work as you do yeah uh what's your what's your advice to someone it's it's a white belt in animation in animation man um you know 
practice, um, you know, study everything you can copy, you know, at the beginning, you know, that bouncing ball, you're going to hate it and it's boring, but do the bouncing ball drill. You know, you'll really understand timing and some of the fun principle fun, um, uh, and fundamentals of animation. Um, I would suggest copying other animation, like other people's animation, like just copy it, you know, see what they do, see, draw, draw how they draw uh, before you can start really um, analyzing what why they're doing these things mm. but just copy that stuff and and resilient man it took me a decade of trying to find a job you know and a lot of people graduate school and after a year of searching they don't get in and they quit well it could have been the next year you got a job you just you can't quit you know be patient it's it's not that big it's a big industry but it's not that big and so there's you know, a limited amount of room, but if you don't give up, you'll eventually get in, mm. but just keep pushing, keep pushing, but practice, practice, practice. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Dave, you have this, my friend, you have this, you know, this mindset of uh, resilience, you know, from, uh, from the story we started, you know, telling people about jujitsu, you know, and, and going from white to black belt, uh, being animator as well for, 10 years. What's really interesting, those stories overlap as well. Yeah. Because, um, um, you know, it's always that that searching searching for mastery, right? Mm -hmm. And But another another story as well shows lots of resilience from, from you. It's when you was 18, you had some, some bad news, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had, uh, it was my last year of high school, and... Um, I graduated high school and maybe about a month after graduating, um, I wasn't feeling well. And I, for about six months, I wasn't feeling sharp. Um, and I was getting these weird, um, almost like a, like a camouflage pattern of splotches on my skin. And I thought I had an allergy or something and the allergy, allergy was making me feel lousy. So I went to the doctors and they're like, yeah, it's an allergy. Take these antibiotics and take this and then, Okay. Well, I did all that. It didn't go away. I went back. Yeah. It's an allergy, you know? Okay. Then I go to the dentist and the dentist is, is like, dude, something's not right. You know, he's like, I'm going to recommend you get this blood test from my dentist. And I got the blood test and I get this call from this random guy from the lab. He calls my mom's house and he's like, uh, Hey, are you Dave? I said, yeah. He goes, look, we've never met. Um, I work at the lab and I'm looking at your blood work here. And he said, look, normal human blood count is like 14 or something. He goes, yours is six. You need to go to the hospital like right now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. He's like, look, just tell them your blood works at this lab, blah, blah, blah. And I'll send it over. You know, tell me what hospital are you going to? I'll send it. I said, cool. Told him, called my mom. I said, mom, this guy just called, you know? And, um, so, uh, my mom came came and picked me from work and took me to the emergency room and I was feeling really lousy at this stage um, kind of um, in and out of consciousness but not like fully passing out but just not not well and uh, you know after some time waiting in the, in the emergency room they admit me and you know I'm talking to the doctors and they do some blood work and they see that the blood counts low and they said well you know we're gonna keep you over the weekend Okay. And, uh, it was a Friday and Friday night, this doctor comes in and goes, so, 
Um, yeah, we uh, there's two things that we think you might you might have one of two things. So the we you, the first one's AIDS, and the second one is cancer. Oh man! He's and we're not going to know until Monday. So that weekend, it was an eternity. Wow. Thinking, do I have AIDS? Am I dying from AIDS, or am I dying from cancer? Am I dying? Oh. What? So Monday comes. And uh, the doctor's like, Dave, I got good news and bad news. Good news is you don't have AIDS. Yay. <laughs> oh, thank God. The bad news is you've got cancer. <laughs> I've never been more thrilled to have cancer oh. in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, fine. As long as it's not AIDS, cool. <laughs> What's cancer? What do you mean? What cancer? He's like, you have leukemia. I'm like, well, what the hell is that? Mm. Don't little kids get that? You know, I didn't know what it was. Mm. So explain that it's um, your cancer in your bone marrow. Your bone marrow, it's a blood cancer. So your bone marrow is where your blood is produced. And my bone marrow was basically filled with cancer cells and then injecting cancer cells into my bloodstream. And, uh, and so that day, yeah, my life was changed. My life mm. was changed in an instant. Um, the doctor had a son who was about my age, so I think he kind of had a soft spot for me and kind of told me, he's like, look, he sat down, he had everybody leave the room. He sat down, he goes, look, if you do everything I tell you to do, when I tell you to do it, I'll have you cured by Christmas. So this was in June. He's like, I'll have you cured by Christmas. And I was like, dude, whatever you say, man, mm. whatever you say, I'll do. And so I was in the hospital, I think for about a month, maybe just over a month. And it was just like every, every couple hours, someone coming in and sticking you and someone who's breaks out in a sweat when he sees a needle pointing in his direction, you know, it was a pretty horrible thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I did it and I went through it and, you know, my, my veins started to collapse. So I had to start, I had to have um, a central line put into my heart, you know, the little, they put in this tube and then they hit the artery and then they put it in. So then they could draw the blood and give the medication from there. So I wouldn't have to deal with getting stuck. And I'm like, you guys, why didn't we just do this on the first day? But okay. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and so then, uh, so that was like the first major hardcore treatment. Um, and it, in March of that year, the FDA had just approved a, a experimental drug um, that was meant to cure this specific type of leukemia. There's, there's a bunch of different types of leukemia. Mm -hmm. I had uh, AML acute myeloid leukemia and um so this this drug it was derived from like a vitamin i can't remember and, and i ended up being part of this study from usc that for some reason young latino males were subjected to this type of leukemia mm -hmm. so they gave me the pills on top of chemotherapy all my hair fell out i weighed i dropped down to like a hundred and i think 15 pounds was my lightest so that's probably like like Lillian size, like, mm -hmm. like 50 kg. Can you imagine right. me mm -hmm. that size? Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so that was the first bout round. And then I went home and I was so happy to see my dog and just be in my room and not be in the hospital. I remember the day I had, they let me go. Um, my grandfather came to pick me up, you know, and he's like, Oh, I'm going to bring you home. And I had been in bed for a month so i wasn't really walking oh wow, for a month for a month wow and uh 
I remember just leaping out of that bed and falling and just like scratching and clawing my way out of that hospital. I mean, I couldn't even bend my legs, but I ran out of that place so fast. I wandered out of that hospital. Mm -hmm. So I went home, saw my dog. I was in my own space, you know, and not getting poked and prodded and violated in pretty much every way, shape and form, like bone mar having bone marrow um, biopsies and all that. They stick this needle that's this long needle in your hip to get bone marrow to test and all that. It was mm. just this intense, horrible thing. And so then I went home for, I think, a week or two, and they hooked this chemo machine up to me and plugged it into me, and it would pump chemo in at home. And then I'd have to go in again to the hospital for another week or so when my blood levels dropped again, so I didn't have any white blood cells. Mm. So I did that a couple more times, and on the very last time, um, you know, it was kind of like, okay, we had already been through this. My mom was staying with me at the hospital, you know, mm. unbelievable um you know she made sure they were following through like it was the, i have a lot to attribute to my mom mm -hmm. <laughs> this yeah. man um uh but this last time now it was kind of like all right mom i got it like it's we were like we kind of knew the deal the routine and mm -hmm. so the last week i was in the hospital you know when you go through remission it's um your your white cell count drops so you basically don't have any white blood cells or red blood cells or platelets you don't have anything to fight off infection and so they, what they, they do is they put you in reverse isolation. So I was in reverse isolation pretty much the whole time I was in the hospital, which means everyone who comes in, comes in with a mask on, comes in with a gown on and the cap and all that because infection could be deadly. Mm -hmm. And, um, so this last week, you know, being in a hospital, the AC's on, right. And it gets really dry. Well, I ended up getting like chapped lips, didn't think anything of it as the blood levels dropped as the week went on. The chap lips cracked mm. and started to bleed a little bit and then got infected and my whole face swelled up and now I have an infection and no white blood cells in my mm. body to fight. And um, I remember a team of doctors coming in and one of them in particular is an infectious disease doctor. I wish I could remember his name, but he had them all leave and he sat down with me and was like, son... <laughs> He's like, look, we've tried every antibiotic. There's only one left, and it's very powerful, but it's, you know, it could give you problems later on in life, you know. He's like, but this is our Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. He's like, do you want to do it? And I was like, what are my choices, bro? Like, what? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> of course, give me the stuff. Give me the mm -hmm. antibiotic. So he gave me the antibiotic, and it and it worked. And um, I slowly... After how long? It was... Um, a few days, like three days, mm. <coughs> something like that. And my body responded and I started clawing my way out of that remission. And yeah, I, I was, I ended up being okay, but it was a close one. I remember seeing like the look on his face was not good. And I was having like, I went to Catholic school. And so, you know, the priests from the school were coming to read me my last rites. Oh. You know, doing the prayers, mm. the anointing the oil and absolving me of my sins. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? This is intense. Wow. I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, you know? Um, so those are the thoughts was going on through your mind yeah, during yeah. the spirit. Um, yeah. There's another time I had an re allergic reaction to a blood transfusion. So during remission, you know, like I said, you don't have any blood, so they give you red blood cell and platelet transfusions, and there's potential to have a reaction, so they usually um, give you like a pre-med, like a Benadryl and a couple other 
little cocktail things so that you don't react. Well, the one time they forget to give me this, I have a reaction. Mm. Convulsing, fever shoots up to 105. And yeah, that was another time that was pretty... Me, not a battle. And uh, what was the, the tipping point? What was the, the, the turnover? The turnover. Well, so the plan was to do three big sessions of chemotherapy and mm. see what happens. On, on top of taking these pills, um, because in their studies, they said, you know, usually after the third session is when we've seen it um, go into full remission. Mm. So, but we won't know until we try. So after the third session, all my blood counts went back to, to normal. They let me go home and just said, okay, well, you let us know if you don't, you know, come back in a couple weeks for a blood test. And if you don't, you know, feel right, then definitely call us. So I'd go back in for blood tests, you know, every, every week. And then it was every two weeks and then every month. And I'll never forget it. December 24th, uh, to, when did I graduate? Or 1990, 1996, December 24th, 1996, the phone rang and I, I just, I never, well, I thought the phone rang, I picked up the phone and it was Dr. Heckman, who was my oncologist. Mm. And, and he said, Dave. It's, it's Dr. Heckman. Hey, Dr. Heckman. Um, he's like, remember that promise I made you when I first met you? I said, yeah. He goes, Merry Christmas. Mm. You're cured. He's like, we don't see any signs in, of it coming back. He's like, now, look, when it, if it's going to come back, it usually happens within the first six months. Then the chances go. Then, then when you get to a year, you know, your chances of it coming back are, are pretty low. And then when you get to five years... It's probably not going to come back. After 10 years, you're in the clear. So, yeah, when I turned 28, that was 10 years. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, well I was done. in the clear. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that really changed my life mm. and, and um, gave me a, a different perspective that I kind of feel like I leapfrogged a lifetime to have the perspective I ha of, like, 85-year-old Dave as 18 year old Dave. Mm. And that's kind of how I've lived my life. You know, I've always just gone for it, gone for things, tried to make my, try and be happy, feel good and, and do the things that I've always wanted to do with my life. And I've, I've done almost everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, man. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. 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 That's really cool. I tell this story. Uh, so, um, so I have a daughter, she's uh, 17 now. So her mom uh, had this German shepherd and she always laughs. She's like, I can't believe this stupid dog, you know, had such an influence on you. I said, but his mentality is what you need in any facet of your life to succeed. And that's kind of what, you know, how when I look back, it's like, oh, well, that's kind of how I got through cancer and became an animator and got through jujitsu and all these things. This dog... Um, he's this massive Alsatian, huge German Shepherd, I, massive dog. And when we first started seeing each other, he had severe hip dysplasia, so bad that he couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would just drag himself around. This dog used to terrorize. He would still chase after the cats. He would, <laughs> someone would come knock at the door. He'd attack the door and rip at the door. I mean, this dog, nothing was stopping this guy. He was a wild man. Mm. And I remember once, um, I was sitting at, it was at her mom's house. I was eating a sandwich, watching TV. And out of the corner of my eye, I see movement. And this dog 
crawled, jumped up, ripped the sandwich out of my hand, <laughs> slithered across to the kitchen and swallowed the whole sandwich. I mean, he just, whatever he wanted, he took. Mm. And his and because he couldn't walk, that was not stopping him. I'm like, that's how you need to be in life. Mm. You know, this resilience, this just, well, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going. This is what this is what's happening. So whether you like it or not, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I always I always admire that stupid dog, <laughs> Crockett. <laughs> he had one ear that flopped flopped down and one ear that was up. Oh man, he terrorized everybody. This dog who couldn't walk is unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. So Dave, now um, you're taking classes as well at uh, Miramar, right? Mm -hmm. can, can you tell a little bit about it? So if people it's living in that area and would like to to go and uh, meet you and yeah. start to learn the journey as well with Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, yeah, so I have a, a combat room association, mm -hmm. Combat Room Miramar. We run out of um, Endorphins Gym off of Park Road. Uh, right now, I'm only I only have official afternoon classes at lunchtime, twelve mm thirty -hmm. to one thirty. Wednesday, no gi. Thursday, Friday, gi. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I have probably about 15 active students, most of which work for Weta, but I have a couple who don't work for Weta. Mm -hmm. But um, our visual effects studio can tap your visual effects studio any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> the challenge surfing. Uh, ILM, I'm looking at you. Come on, guys. <laughs> That's awesome, brother. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, yeah, such a oh. pleasure you know to have you as part of our team and, you know, and call you as a friend as well. Yeah. I was super happy you know it's something you know we've been planning you know to get to the black belt and yeah, yeah I and mean, i had so many you know expectations and it was such a beautiful day we had a, such a awesome ceremony at our academy you know not only you but we had you know a couple of more guys you know yeah. sam and norm yeah, receiving yeah. the black belt together that's that's amazing and and i hope you just keep you know growing and learning and you know rolling together as long as as we can move, right? Oh. Like the dog, eh? Like the, do like the dog. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, we briefly talked about mastery. You know, mastery mm. doesn't mean it's over, you yeah, know? No, never. Not even remotely. Mm. Mastery is just, I've got the fundamentals and I can pass this on. And now, now we can evolve. Yes. You know? That's so I'm happy I get to do that with you. That's yeah. awesome, man. My friend. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's been an honor to be on this show, you know, and being in the company of guests that you've had on, you know, mm. it's been, it's quite a special thing you're doing. So thank you for, for doing this for the community and everything else that you do for the community. It's quite, quite special, especially for someone who's not from here. You mm. know, I get it. And we chose this place, mm. you know, so giving back, it's, it's special. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. And thank you, our producer, Colin. Jamie. Walk. Jamie. He's playing Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, can you pull that up? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Oh, super cool, man. Yeah, super awesome. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you.